Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here, and I wanted to ask you a quick favor. If you like the show and it has helped you, please remember to rate, review, and follow it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Also consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. And now let's get to the creative chat. Does following your passion or being an entrepreneur sound like fun, but also like the scariest leap in the world for you? Walking away from what you have can feel like a full identity crisis. But what if there was a way to baby step into the life you want? What if that huge risky decision is actually something you can reach gradually and in a way that feels safe for you? Today, you'll hear tips on finding your purpose and passion and all the ways you can break down and conquer the fears and risks that come along with finding those things. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to take fear out of the driver's seat and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, and spirituality. Today's guest is someone who drastically changed her life and career by taking one baby step at a time. If you're more risk adverse, but you want more for your life, I know this episode can help. The guest's name is Amy McLaren. She's a first grade teacher turned entrepreneur, world traveler, author, and charity co-founder of Village Impact, a Canadian charity that delivers quality education to rural areas of Kenya. And if you're interested in learning more, I'll be putting some info about it at the end of the episode and in the show notes. So definitely stay tuned for that. Most recently, Amy has published a book called Passion to Purpose, a seven-step journey to shed self-doubt, find inspiration, and change your life and the world. I wanted to have Amy on the show because her book and her story has step-by-step exercises and tips on how you can start living the life you were meant to live. It's very easy to get comfortable to the point of being stuck in a career and a life that's no longer fulfilling to you. You might even have guilt for wanting to change the things that people tell you you should be lucky to have. Luckily, this episode will reassure you that wanting change is not only valid, but it's the best thing you can do for yourself and the world. Now here she is, Amy McLaren. Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm honored to have you on here and I'm so excited about your book. It's like so on brand with what we do here. So thank you for writing it. Well, no, thank you. It definitely was, uh, it's been a journey, a long journey of writing, but it's coming out. So it's pretty exciting. I know you're birthing a creative baby. First of all, how does that feel? It's kind of wild, right? Like it's been, um, I've never been one that's had a book on my vision board or something that I thought of. Like, I'm not really one of those, you know, when you like, oh, I'm going to write a book one day. It, it's really something that's kind of bubbled up in the last probably like four and a half years or so of my career and my path where I'm at now. But yeah, it feels amazing to have it finally come to print because it was supposed to release last year. And then, of course, COVID hit. And then I was very thankful when the publisher said you can move it because I have two young ones at home Oh wow! and like COVID there, I'm trying to homeschool. I'm trying to do these passion journal things I wanted to do and everything just wasn't working. So when they said that I could push it back, I was like, 
Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a wild, long journey, but a very rewarding one. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like divine timing because one of the things that when your book rep reached out to me, they said was more people than ever are going toward entrepreneurship because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an interesting kind of synergy. And I'm sure you believe in that. We'll do a little tease right now, as we would call it in the radio world. And I want to come back to how your book deal came about. But before we get into that, I want to get into the subject matter of the book. Yeah. And that really starts with your own journey. I know that you were a teacher. You weren't quite feeling satisfied. The way you described it really felt like when you're getting grayed out in life and everything is just becoming a little bit fuzzy and gray and you're starting to feel really empty. And I know at that point you made the switch and you started pursuing this passion of starting a nonprofit. But I want to talk about when you felt stuck and when you were dissatisfied. What did that physically feel like in your body when you were going through that? And how long did you stay in that before you made the move? Yeah, so for sure. So you're right. I was a teacher, a grade one teacher, and I loved parts about my job at the beginning. I loved it all. And so I taught grade one for 10 years. And then, like you said, towards the end, I just I felt very empty and just kind of closed in and almost like, it wasn't lighting me up anymore. It was kind of boring. It was kind of the same thing. And as much as like I could see the children's light go on and see them reading and progressing and all that stuff, I just began to felt very stuck. And at the same time as I was feeling stuck, my husband and I were building another business on the side and he was getting asked to speak at these different speaking engagements and opportunities. And I wanted to, I wanted to go too, but I couldn't because I was in a job that's like nine to five Yes, I got summers off and I got weekends and Christmas and teaching in Canada is really well respected. And I, you know, got paid very well, but it just felt stuck. And I was, you know, I was really unhappy towards the end. And I don't think, and I write about this in the book, I don't think a lot of people really knew that. It was really just my spouse and a couple of friends, I think, that knew I was just really dissatisfied. I felt like I, there's so much more I, I could be doing. And I just felt I didn't have the time and I couldn't get to it. And it started to almost affect well, obviously me and then my relationship with my spouse, because I would come home after teaching and I would be exhausted and I just didn't have any energy to do anything. And I'd be grumpy and like, just not, not very fun to be around, I think towards the end, because I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. And why do you think you didn't tell anyone? Was it like a level of shame? Was it, if you admitted it, then you had to live with that? What was the impetus to kind of keep it more inside? Yeah. I, you know, I think it had a lot to do with my identity. And I, I talk about that all in the book where it's like almost like an identity crisis or some kind, like, because I went to school for teaching, like I did my master's in education, like, and like as a teaching grade one in Canada, like you're paid, you know, I was making 80,000 a year, which was really good. I had summer, like when I got the teaching position, I beat out like 4,000 people for this job. And like, so I had all this success and on the outside, we say, oh, it's amazing. That's so great. You got a job as a teacher. You're in now. You've got the pension. You've got the benefits. You know, you have your summers off. You have Christmas off. Like, what else do you want? And I almost felt ashamed or like bad for saying, well, I, I want more. Like, I this is great, but it's not fulfilling to me. And so I think part of me was like, I felt bad. And then part of me still felt like I identified myself as a teacher, mm. but yet I was working nights, helping my husband and I build our other businesses and like starting to dabble in business books and self-development. And like, I was like having trouble with what I did or what 
I was in some sense. So I think that was part of it for me. It was just difficult to explain to people. And then I felt bad for saying it because, you know, I should be lucky that I have this opportunity and job in front of me and like what I was doing. A hundred percent. I love so much of what you said. I think people are often like, just take the leap, follow your dreams, but they don't talk about any of the complexities, like the identity piece. I've actually never heard somebody talk about that on the show, but I think that's so important when you've made your whole identity about a certain path. And then all of a sudden you're starting to unwind that it's like, well, who am I without that? How did you do that for yourself? Yeah. You know, what's funny. I, it was definitely a journey and I love how you said, like, it's not overnight. Like, you know what I mean? Like we have this amazing nonprofit and I have a couple of other businesses I run that are doing really well, but it definitely didn't start like it. Like so my husband and I have been together 20 years, like half my life, wow. literally half my life. Congrats. That's an accomplishment. Oh, thank you. No. So we've been married 15 together, 20. We met in university. And when I met him, he turned down a corporate job to work for himself. Like he's never worked for anybody else. And I really respected and admired that. But at the same time, like he was always listening to like these business books and self-development stuff. And I remember like being in car rides with him. And back in the day when we had tapes and CDs in the car, right? Like that's, it seems crazy, but that's how it was. And he would listen to all these self-development books and leadership. And, and I'm like, man, that stuff is so boring. Like, what are you doing? And I would put my headphones on and listen to music. And then at bedtime, we'd go to bed and I would read my Danielle Steele novels. I would read comics or like, I would read all this kind of fiction story stuff, which was great. But I, after a while I was like, okay, maybe I should like try one of his books. Like, I remember the night we we're laying in bed and all his side of the table was like, all of these self-development books. And then the other side of my table was like Daniel Steele and like John Gresham and like all these novels. And I'm like, oh, after a really bad day, I kind of laid there and I just took one of his books and it was the secret at that time. And I read it and I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. And then all of a sudden I just kind of started to dabble a little more and a little more. And then that's when I began to see kind of what was possible with certain things. And then we had an opportunity to work in the States for a little bit. And we worked with a real estate mentor and I started coordinating events and that was part of it too. And I began to see what was possible. And I think it's like what people say, like, you don't know what you don't know. And then little by little, like I just was starting to read books. And then I went to one of my husband's events and it was just step by step really. And I just began to really kind of take note on what I was saying to myself and the stories I was telling myself and then looking at like the possibilities of what could be. You can be a teacher, you can be a, a teacher, mom, entrepreneur, you can be all of those things. And it's okay to have lots of different identities. Yes. You're in the right place. This is the home of the multi-passionate creative. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Right. I know. And I'm, and I still today, like I have a few businesses, but now they're more aligned with what I'm passionate about. And I think that's what a lot of people get stuck in because it's like passions change and that's okay to like move from different passion or move in your career to different things. So yeah, it took a while, but I eventually resigned <laughs> from teaching after a while. Okay. I, I want to break down a lot of what you just said, but to get back to the path a little bit, no one talks about how hard it is to quit. Like, it's not just the mental shift. Like you can know you need to quit, but then you actually have to do it. And if you care about the people or you care about the kids you're teaching or the job or that piece of your identity, there's so much wrapped up in it. How did you form your quitting plan? Yeah. So for, I mean, I'm fortunate in that with teaching in Canada, 
I could take a part-time leave. And that's what I did at the beginning. So I took, I had my daughter and then I had a mat leave and then I took a part-time leave. So I still had my foot in the door of the teaching and the nine to five, like that income coming in. And then it allowed me the time to kind of explore other things that I wanted to do. Mm. So first I did part-time and then I did that a couple of years. And then I took a year. I said, okay, I'm going to take a year now. Like I kind of narrowed it down to some different things and the charity was growing, but another business I had was starting to grow. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to take a year and I'll try it for a year. And I wasn't really thinking like long-term. I was just thinking, let's just get through the next six months. Let's get through the next year. And then once we finish that year, I'll make a decision about the following year. So that was what I did. And for me, it was, that felt safe and it felt secure. If I thought like, okay, this isn't my whole life. This is just six months. Okay. And then I went from six months and I went to a year, the school board would be like, okay, are you coming back next year? And I would write the email in. I'd say, oh no, I'm going to have one more year. And I I did that for like three years. That's so great. But the board was great. So I'm really fortunate that I had the opportunity to step back, but still have my foot in. But I think that was just helpful for me to think, you know, it's not my whole life. I'm just talking about six months or I'm talking about a year. So it becomes more manageable in my head and doesn't seem like a huge thing. It's like, okay, well, just this little bit. That's a great tip. So if you're more risk adverse, kind of piecemealing the risk. Mm -hmm. So doing it in small sections helps make it seem less drastic rather than being like, I'm quitting my job forever and starting a business tomorrow, which some people they do that and they feel great about it. But there's a lot of people that never start because that risk feels way too big. But I like this idea of like, maybe it wouldn't be that you can like go to the board and still have a foot in the door teaching, but you could do freelance work. You could ask your full-time job if you can work part-time. Like there's different ways to make that kind of scenario work for yourself and whatever your big next leap is. Yeah. I think it's just about being creative, right? And it's just figuring out how, like asking yourself, how can I do this that feels good to me? And feels like a good fit. And it's just like you said, it looks different. I think to everybody, like some people would totally quit and some people would. And I was kind of in the middle, I think of kind of trying to keep both feet <laughs> wet. And then I don't know. So everyone's different. Hey, it worked. I like it. Okay. So tell me what it looked like when you did transition. I know you started your nonprofit and it's still attached to education, which is very cool. So you still get that teacher feeling. How did it lead from that to like what you're doing now? Yeah. So, so yeah, we started our nonprofit about 10 years ago called Village Impacts and we built schools in Kenya. And that was a big thing for me was number one education. Cause I think when you give a gift of education, nobody can take it away. And we partner with the Kenyan government in Kenya. So it's very community oriented partnerships, which I love. So that's kind of like the education side of me. So we, we grew that over time. And then As that kind of grew, I grew into a brand or business I have that's called Lady Strength. And that's all about empowering women to move out of their comfort zone and do crazy trips and fun experiences and masterminds. And that kind of mastermind group that I had has grown over the years. So I've added to it. It's changed. I've kind of changed the format of it a little every year. And that's grown to where I am today. So when you talk about like passion-led businesses... It makes me smile because I do, I have my charity that the proceeds from the book that I'm launching will go to. And then I have my lady strength brand that I love about just getting women out of their comfort zone. And then my latest passion project is um, luxury Airbnbs. And so I've dabbling in short-term investments and which I love too, but it all relates back to the desire to give people amazing experiences and giving back and travel, which are like my three big passions. 
Yeah. So let's talk about, cause your book is all about passion and purpose and taking the leap. I have two very different definitions of passion and purpose. I'm curious, what are your definitions of each word and how are they intertwined? Yeah. So for sure. So passion for me is like, that's something that's like pixie dust feeling gets you so excited. It's like when you go to a dinner party and it's all you can talk about and you could talk about it day in, day out. It never gets old. And like when people think about you, like when they think about me, it's like, oh, Amy and travel, where's she going? What's she doing? And what is she doing with a nonprofit? But it's something that like just lights you up and people see it. Like they see it in your eyes. They can hear it in your voice. They see it in your expressions. It's, it's just something you really love to do. It's, it's also like my you know, I think of my daughter that's an avid reader. She's 10 and she polishes off books like crazy. Like she loves um, fiction and sci-fi, like all this kind of stuff. And she'll be reading a book and she's so into it that like, I'll try and talk to her and she doesn't even, it goes way over her head because she's just so entrenched in her world within her book. And she's talking to me about it. And I can see the passion behind the characters. And like, for her, it's that that reading. So I think it's something that you really connect to and something that means a lot to you and something that gets you excited. As for purpose, I think that's, for me, it's the vehicle to doing more good. And that's part in the book is, you know, everyone has a passion and then whatever you're passionate about is your purpose. And that purpose is to do more good for me. And I think for everybody, I think everybody, everyone wants to do more good in the world. And so the way I personally connect them is, you know, passion is our vehicle that we use to then serve our purpose, which is to do um, more good in the world. If that makes sense. That totally makes sense. I have very similar definition. Yeah. I think like purpose for me is a thesis statement for your life and passion is whatever serves that. Mm -hmm. So you can have a ton of different passions, but you still have like that one thesis statement of purpose. Yeah, totally. So if somebody out there is listening and they're like, I don't know what my passion or my purpose is, what would be a tip or a few tips? I know you, that's one thing that you really go over in the book is how to unlock your passion. How do you start doing that? Yeah, for sure. See, everyone has a passion. I just think sometimes it gets clouded over or it gets buried in the everyday stuff that comes up. And like, if you're a mom or you have like a couple of businesses and you're doing all these things or you're in the weeds and like, I think everybody has a passion and it just gets overclouded or those passions change. So something I love to do, it's really like a super simple activity. And I think you should take a moment and go to somewhere we have no distractions, like whether that's a hotel Uh, just anywhere where you want to go, where no one's going to bother you and just sit down and and take the time and be intentional with it. Cause that's, I don't think a lot of people take that time and sit down and draw like a super straight line and do increments of 10, like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and go back in your life and look at what you were doing. Like in your twenties, look at what you were doing in your thirties or your forties or whatever it may be. And identify a theme because there's probably an underlying theme of similar things that you like to do, or, or maybe there's totally different things that you forgot about. And then I like to like, just pick one of those things and just commit to putting it on your calendar. And I think that's the big thing is the consistency. And a lot of people don't take the time to be consistent at something or take the time to put it on the calendar. And it doesn't mean like changing your whole calendar, like, or changing your whole life. It just means sprinkling a little more of your passion in and following those breadcrumbs. Because when I started the nonprofit, I didn't know I was going to start a nonprofit and build this 15 schools or start my Airbnb stuff. Like it was just me following things that I truly love to do and which lit me up. And I think you, sometimes you have to go back to what maybe lit you up in the past and revisit it. And Hey, if it doesn't light you up anymore and you don't like it, 
then try something completely new. Try something completely random, but you have to do something to try and connect with it. Because I think when you're truly connected to something you're passionate about, it brings out the best version of who you are. And when you're truly living in that passion, I mean, it's not all the time, but like for most of the time where you feel happy and fulfilled and going towards a purpose, then you're like the best mom that you can be. You're the best friend. You're the best spouse. You're the best version of who you are. And I, I want to show up like that every day for like my family and my community and my friends. Like nobody wants crummy or grumpy me. <laughs> I mean, and that happens. Yeah. But for the most part, like, you know, you want to be the best version of you. And I think that's done by taking the time to honor what fulfills you. I totally agree. And I love that exercise. I think it's brilliant because we talk a lot on the show about getting in touch with the inner child. Cause I think that's where all the answers lie, but also like, you know, when you get to a certain age, like looking back at a younger self, whatever age that is, like maybe you were super expressed when you were 20 and then something happened. You know, I, I like that idea. Let's say I'm going to throw you a scenario. Let's say somebody in their teens loved playing guitar. Like that was their favorite thing to do. They're now in their late twenties, early thirties, haven't done it in like a decade. And they're terrified to try to pick it up again. What's your advice to them on how to overcome that fear of failure or being bad or the pain of feeling the loss of not doing this for so long and just do the thing? I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing that you can do is find someone else close to you or someone that likes guitar or someone that has never done it and just do an experience with that person. Because I think oftentimes we... We don't have to fight things alone. It's like we can do things together and we make a bigger impact when we work together. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help like when we're five and six and when we're 40 and 30, like asking a friend to come and have an experience with you. And, you know, maybe it's an online experience where the two of you could sit and there's nobody else around and you could do that by yourself too. Like there's so much possibility in our world right now, especially with online stuff where you could... I mean, I know someone that has a guitar membership that does lessons every month and like you could be virtual and you don't even have to turn on your video and you can sit there by yourself with one other person and just listen and try it that way. So definitely ask a friend or a loved one or someone that can have the experience with you to start. And then also look at those opportunities where you can do it yourself, but maybe that would be more comfortable if it's online when you're by yourself in your room. So it's easier maybe for some, but I think th those would be two things I would suggest. Those are great tips. And you talk, you said possibility. So that kind of piqued my interest. You talk about feeding your brain with possibility. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, a passion mindset to me is like a possibility mindset because it's like, you know, when you get really excited about a new idea or something you're passionate about and you start to think about all the things that can happen, you rarely think about things that will fail. You're like, oh, I can do this. I can add this. I can go here. I can help this person. And it's like, all of a sudden you've got a journal full of ideas. So I think like that passion mindset is also a possibility mindset because you see like what's possible. And that's why it's so important to fill your brain. And like we've heard many times before, but it's so true. It's like, you know, fill your brain with good reads. And I mean, to go back to my John Gresham days and like Daniel Steele, like I love reading Daniel Steele on the plane when there's turbulence, because then it takes my mind off the turbulence and I just read her, her book. I love it. It's a great hack. Yeah. It's just like balancing that though. And like when I started to realize that like in my twenties, it's like, okay, I, I love Daniel Steele and John Gresham mystery novels, but then they're not really serving 
a greater purpose. Like they're not making me think or ask different questions about where I want to go or what I want to do. And so I think it's important to feed your brain with lots of different things. So then you can see all the possibilities because like we said, you don't know what you don't know. And it's like, you've got to feed it with good stuff, just like you've got to energize it, you know, with good food. It's the same thing when it comes to reading and who you surround yourself with and making sure that, you know, the people around you are uplifting you and not saying your dreams, oh, that's not going to come true. Like, no way you can't do that because then that's their stories, (laughs) right? You've got to live your story and what you believe. So how do you deal with that? Like, cause I'm sure in all the things you've built, you've come up against people who were doubters. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with someone like that coming into your life? Do you just automatically cut them out? How do you stand up for yourself? Like, what are your tips to deal with the haters? Quote, unquote? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there are, right. It's like, no matter what you do in your life, there's always people. I mean, even now I find it a bit like online, like there's so many people out there online too, that can you know, can be really mean (laughs) and not very nice. But the one example I would give would be, you know, I was walking with a friend of mine and her family a few months ago, and we were walking down this lane and we passed this big, beautiful house. And we were with our children and her daughter said to me, she's like, what did she say? She's like, mom, I love like a house like that. And my friend said, oh, you'll have to marry a really rich guy to get that. And I was like, what? Like inside, I'm like, what? Like I would like, no, like she could build her own business and yeah, herself. Absolutely. She's a great person. My friend's amazing. I was surprised when she said it, but at the end of the day, I think it's, it was the story that her mom told her. Do you know what I mean? Or it's these other stories that people tell. So I don't necessarily say they can't be in my life, but then it's like, you recognize where some of these things come from. And I think that's the important part. And I mean, a comment here and there, you know, at the end of the day, if it was something all the time and consistently, then I would begin to um, back off a little bit or just be mindful of where you are spending time with that person. So is it a group event maybe instead of just a one-on-one time or doing an experience where you can do it together? Yeah. I think that's like a really interesting thing because you're getting into something that's a little bit more Mm, like microsurgery. Like I was thinking when I asked the question of someone who flat out didn't support you, but you bring up a really good point that you can even be around people that have limiting beliefs that you don't even realize just like being in the same energy center as them is also limiting your belief of what's possible for you. Oh, definitely. I, it makes me think too of a friend, um, well, my trainer, she was in her twenties and she's this amazing woman. And I, for one of my adventure trips, we drove um, across Morocco on a 50 CC motorcycle and we got dropped off in the desert. And then we got 10 days to drive this motorcycle. I'd never driven a motorcycle back to the city, no hotels, no places to stay. You have to like figure it out. So for some people, maybe most people would be like, you're insane. Like who does that? But I love that kind of travel, like the adventure side of it. So I was saying to Elaine, like, you should come, you should come. I think you'd love it. And I could see like, she was so excited to do it. And then she's like, no, I can't. And then she didn't come. And then she said she regretted it. I said, why didn't you? She's like, well, my dad said I couldn't go. And then we, we talked about it a bit more. And at the end of the day, I think it was her dad, who's a wonderful man, just doesn't like adventure travel and like, we'll go to Florida, come home. And like, that's, Oh yeah. So that's his mindset though. Right. <laughs> that sounds like my childhood, by the way, <laughs> my mom worked for the airlines. Literally the only thing we ever did was go to Florida. We went to Hawaii a few times. That was yeah. our big adventure, but like we could have flown 
anywhere in the world. I'm hundred percent Italian. I've never been to Italy and oh, it's like wow. a sin, but I definitely feel for your trainer because I can picture myself telling my mom, my dad would be fine with it, but telling my mom, like, Hey, I want to go to Morocco and ride a motorcycle for 10 days. And of course I would do what I wanted to anyway, but she would put so much fear into me. Cause she would think I'm going to get murdered. I'm going to get killed on the motorcycle. Like there's all these things that would go through her brain. And then in order to protect me, quote unquote, she would tell me not to do it. But I think we have to like realize when someone's protection is veering into living our own truth and experience, that's when you have to really set a boundary and, and cut that person off in a certain way. It's not going to ever cut my mom off. She's the most precious person to me in the world, Yeah, totally. but you know, I can't let her fear inhibit me from experiencing my life. And I think it's just such a great point. Like for anyone listening, if somebody's putting their fear on you and it's going to keep you from doing what you're meant to do, you got to shut it down. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to realize that's happening. Do you know what I mean? Unless you kind of start to notice a trend or like someone points it out to you, because if it's been happening all, all your life, then you kind of think, well, that's, that's just how I am. I'm scared of doing this, but they're not really scared. It's like, it's just passed on from other people. And sometimes it's literally like generational trauma. <laughs> I know, right? You don't, and like we love, we all love our parents, but like they they grew up in a totally different time to what we grew up, and even my children now are growing up in a totally different time than I did. So every generation is very different. So it's just different for every parent. Yeah, I'm excited to see like your kids' generation because I just feel like they're going to be so much more well balanced than we were because they just know so much more. And the world's so much more open now. And I'm sure our parents felt the same way about us, but like, it's cool that they're growing up in an era where like therapy is more normal and like doing the thing you want to do versus going for stability is more normal and loving all people, regardless of gender, race, color, sexual orientation is like the requirement. (laughs) Um, It's going to be cool to, to see what happens there. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. Tips for self-doubt. And also I'm curious what your current relationship is like with fear. Yeah. So first of all, I think self-doubt, we all have self-doubt, right? I think it doesn't matter where, how many times sometimes you've done something or like where you are in your career. Self-doubt is something that always kind of creeps in. So something that I've, and we've touched about it a little bit is just like monitoring what you're saying to yourself and recognizing if you're telling yourself the same stories. (laughs) And changing those stories so they become more of a positive story than a negative story. And then for fear, it's funny because I will drive across Morocco on a motorcycle. I'll drive through India on a rickshaw. But getting on a stage in front of people to talk is like the scariest thing that I do. And I I push myself. I mean, I've fallen off a chair on a stage. I've shook so much on a stage. I've been so nervous because I get I get really, it's like fills me with anxiety. But I I push past it because I grow a little every time. And I think it's important for my kids to see me doing hard things. So it's funny. I think fear and it changes a little bit as you as you get older and the different things that you do. But I'm a big believer in facing it and not running away from it, even if that means, you know, for me in stages, I ask if I could get a chair to sit down because I'm not very good at standing up and takes me a while to get into it. And I think you've got to face it and then also just, it's okay to put in things there to help you to get through that fear. So like I mentioned, when we speak on stage, 
I often ask if it's okay if there's a couch or if there's a chair, not a stool to sit on because I slipped right, like it's just not comfortable in a dress. And I was like literally slipping off the stool <laughs> and I'm trying to talk and I couldn't get comfortable. So I always, there's like little things I ask for that just help me as a speaker. So it helps me face my fear. I have to know, how did you recover from falling out of the chair? Well, so I, maybe I should explain that a bit more. So it's yeah. kind of like 3000 people. I was our friend. Dean Grajowski and he Oh, I love Dean. So Dean Dean stage, right? Yeah. Great. And he he's a huge donor for our charity. We spoke on his stage a couple of times. And we was at his event and he had these two stools, three stools with my husband and, and him and myself. And these stools were like almost shiny plastic and they were kind of slanted. And I had this new dress on with my heels and the dress was like a different material and it was really slippy. Like it was like you would sit on it and you would kind of slip down and I couldn't get comfortable and we're talking about the charity and, and then like five minutes into our time on the stage, all of a sudden his Jeremy, I don't know if you know Jeremy that works on it. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy comes out with a chair with a big back on and he comes out with the chair and the audience starts clapping like, it's so embarrassing. (laughs) And so he brings out this big chair for me to sit on um, and then left like my husband and Dean were on the stool still, but I sat down on the chair and then I'm like, okay, like this is way better. Got it. So you didn't like fully fall out. You were just slowly sliding out. It was like, I kept slipping down and then I would sit up and I'd be like, okay, I'm good. And then I'm like slipping down again. And then I'm nervous anyway. So my body's moving and shaking a little bit. And it was just embarrassing. And then I was very thankful when Jeremy bought me the comfortable chair, but at the same time, like, yeah, like literally everyone cheers. I think that that's the thing when, whenever we're performing in any capacity, cause speaking is like a performance mm-hmm. people like don't actually care. I mean, no one wants their ears to bleed. Like if you're playing music or like if you're <laughs> talking hate speech, no one's going to like that, but people just want to make sure that you're having a good time and you feel comfortable and then they're going to be good. Yeah. Like that's the biggest thing. So they were clapping because they were probably just so happy that you were comfortable and you survived it, which makes it less scary. Like if you survive that, you can get on a stage and sit in a sturdy chair and you're probably going to be fine. Right. Yeah. Like (laughs) I think every hard thing we go through increases our capacity for risk and fear. So I like it. And thank you for sharing that. (laughs) No, that's okay. And it's good for my daughter to see. I don't know if she was there for that one, but she's been, I think she senses I get nervous, but I love to show her that you push through it and you do it and you just keep going on. Right. And one thing you've talked about a lot is building community, which is huge when you're building any sort of business that like, it really helps that people have a space to go to, to talk with each other outside of you. So what are your tips for someone who's trying to build and grow a community and how do you start? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is, you know, you've got to share what you're doing. And I think a lot of people don't share enough in some ways. Like I think of when we started our nonprofit, I remember David who sits on our board of directors actually coming up to Drew and I and saying like, why, why aren't you sharing what you're doing about your stuff in Kenya and your charity? And, and Stu and I were like, no, like it's just our little side thing. Like, you know, we've always, and still to this day, we don't take any funds from it. Like our, one of our other companies actually fund the overhead. So our donations go to our causes, but so it's always been like this, this side thing. And then he's like, but you should be sharing about it more because you could encourage and inspire other people and maybe you could get some more donations. I'm like, you know, it's always kind of like, oh, I didn't want people to feel bad or we didn't want people to feel like they had to donate or anything like that. We just didn't want people to feel uncomfortable. But when we looked at it again, we're like, well, 
that's true. Like we should share about it more and I encourage other people to share what they're passionate about or what they're working on because you never know who's out there listening, right? Like you never know Mm -hmm. who might want to donate or who might want to jump on your team and be part of your community and help spread your message. So I think the first thing is definitely getting out there and sharing what you're doing. But when you're sharing what you're doing, the second thing I would say is just making sure that your message is clear and that people understand it. Because when we started our nonprofit, it was messy at the beginning. And, you know, we were trying to help everyone and everything. And thus our message was like complicated. Like no one really knew. They're like, what do you do? And then we would explain it and it, it didn't flow. Like people didn't really understand what our charity did. So I think it's important that you get out there, share your message, but you're clear with your message and it's easy for people to understand what you do and that you're consistent with it. How did you distill it? How did you clarify it? I think action creates clarity, right? So at the beginning with our nonprofit, we're helping in school still, but we were doing like feeding programs. We were, we were all over the place in Ghana, like doing everything, but nothing. Like it was like, we were putting band-aids on everything and not creating long-term change. And we were just figuring stuff out. And then we went back to Kenya and we went back to what I loved, which was living with people in the community, learning from the community, partnering with the community, and then to building our first school. And kind of, we went back to that whole education piece again, and back to what I was truly passionate about. And my husband was education. So it's like now building schools is what we do in a nutshell. There's other layers to it, but at the start, I would be like, Oh, we run feeding programs and all these things. Do you know what I mean? And now it's like we build schools, but that's the very big overlying thing, but it's easy for people to understand. Right. So I think it just comes through action and action makes clarity And it's not perfect at the beginning. I think you have to like dabble and try different things. um, And then eventually it becomes clear. Yeah. I'm always envious when someone has like a really clear tagline, Mm -hmm. because I think it creates action in and of itself to have that like clarity Yeah, because then people know what they're getting into, but it can be really hard, especially like when you are a multi-passionate person to give that one log line of what you do. But it's cool that, you know, you've discovered it over time and by doing. Yeah. And that's, and I think for the charity, that's been the case for sure. And then I think for, you know, for a lot of people that are multi-passionate like you and myself, it's like, okay, so now I have amymclaren.com and that kind of houses some of my different passions. So it's like, you can direct people to one domain, but then that domain can house a couple of things in there. But definitely when it comes to the charity, it was just over time as I was discovering what I wanted to do. And then also working alongside the community and our partners on the ground and figuring that out. Yeah. And I love that you talk about working alongside the community because a lot of times when you talk about people going to like Africa, for instance, and creating schools, you know, the phrase white saviorism gets brought up. And I love that you're doing it from a perspective of what do you need and how can I serve? Because that's the way to give back. And you said you're also partnered with the government there. Yeah. And that's, that's so important to me. It's always been that way since, I mean, since I was little and like living with Thai families and living in refugee camps, like I think there's so much value in what you can learn as an individual and what you can do together when you're learning from people on the ground. Like that's the last thing I want is to go anywhere and do it. Like I, you work better together and better with other people on the ground that are there. So that's a huge part of our charity is, you know, we're there to support and work together and learn from each other. And, 
you know, create an impact that's going to change the lives of kids together. Um, so I love my team that are there. I miss them so much with the COVID stuff and I learn so much from them every day. Like it's a great partnership. And I think that partnership with the government also creates, you know, accountability between all of us mm -hmm. and, and a common goal and a common direction for all of us involved and for the kids. Yeah. And I think it's just a good example too, for any of us doing anything, because as you said, like purpose is always tied to service. When you're thinking about what your purpose or what your path is going to be really asking the people that you hope to serve what they need. It's like, whether mm -hmm. you're creating a charity in another country or your own, or starting a business, it's always good to ask your intended audience what they want and need. So I think that's a, a great takeaway. Yeah. Um, Okay. I have a question for you. So I'm a very ambitious person. I'm also a very passion driven person, but a lot of times I lose sight of what the actual purpose is because I'm focused on the end game. Like I'm focused on the result versus the journey. Mm -hmm. How do you work toward staying in the journey and the love of the journey? Cause that's something that's come up a lot. It seems like you really know how to focus on the journey versus the end result. Yeah. So it's hard sometimes. Like I'm probably like yourself. I'm, I'm one of those people that like, I have a goal and I get to my goal and then I'm like, okay, what's next. So for myself, it's been like enjoying the journey and enjoying the detours of, of what it is, because, you know, I, I wish I could say that, you know, it's been, it was easy at the start. And I mean, it's not easy now. I think as you build anything, it's always going to be complicated and hard. And sometimes it's like seasons, right. Within any business, but it's, it's like celebrating and, going back and remembering those things to keep pushing you forward. Like I think of my husband and I, every year we go away on new year's day and we go to a hotel and we plan out the next year. Sometimes like we're usually about 18 months ahead, like planning with our businesses and like life and what we want to do. And then always leave room for flexibility because things happen or whatever. But I think it's important in that year where we plan ahead, we don't just plan ahead. We look back at like, you know, what did we do this year? What were the high points? What were the low points? What were some really frustrating moments? And, and celebrating the smallest things because they give us kind of the courage to keep going and to keep going on the journey. And I know when with the nonprofit, when we first started the charity, I couldn't go to Kenya and see our first school open. I missed the first school. I missed the second one because I was pregnant and then I had my daughter. And so it was like, how else can I refill my travel cup or refill my desire to give back cup through, you know, through Zoom or through Facebook, like just holding on to those little moments and then celebrating them to get to the bigger one. Yeah. It's just about in, enjoying the detours because life isn't a straight line. Like, no. <laughs> So, Okay. To wrap things up, I want to go back to the initial tease that I did at the beginning of the interview where you said you never really had a desire to write a book and it kind of just happened. Okay. Walk me through this. How did it just happen? <laughs> I know it's, you know, it's funny. It's like, I'm not, I do enjoy writing when I'm in the mode and like, it feels good, but I've never been one of those women that like love writing. Like I, I did okay in university and, you know, English class or whatever, but it's never been a passion. So for me, it was um, the Hay House CEO, Reed Tracy. He's an amazing man and he's a mentor and a friend to my husband and I. And for years, he's been like, Amy, you need to write your journey. You need to talk about the charity. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Not yet. Like, I don't, I don't want to. I'm like, I never felt there. Like, I always felt like, you know, I still feel like I'm figuring it out and I still am figuring it out because I don't think we ever 
arrive at a certain spot. Do you know what I mean? We're always figuring our journey out. So for me, it was coming off the stage and constantly having people say that, oh, I can't, I can't help right now because I'm not at that point in my business or I don't have any funds to do that right now. And, and for me, it's not about money. It's about using what you're passionate about to do more good. And that could be as, as simple as, you know, please and thank you or holding the door open or giving a free paint lesson or, what, or whatever it may be, because I think we're all put on this earth to do good. And it doesn't mean like naming a building. And I mean, don't get me wrong. That's phenomenal. That's amazing. But like at the end of the day, if you're building a legacy and thinking about the impact that you have in this world, it's the little things. It's the little things that we do every day that add up to create an impact, to make a difference in someone's life. So that's the hope for me in the book is that, you know, women and men who are reading it realize that they can still do what they love and they can use what they love to do more good in the world by just doing simple things. Like you don't have, I started a nonprofit and I did that, but that doesn't mean to say you need to do that. Like you could join a board of directors. You could, you know, there's so many things that we can do to make the world a better place. It, it doesn't mean you have to wait till you reach X, Y, Z, or you reach a certain point. Wow. So you basically finally said yes to him and you wrote the book. <laughs> Yes. I finally said yes. And then I don't know what, if it was just the charity have been, we've been doing it a little longer now. And I, I'm always up for challenges and writing the book was, I mean, my husband will attest. It was a challenge. Like it was a lot. So for me, it was just a challenge. And it was another way for me to just get the message out and the word out and to obviously raise funds for our programs with the charity. So it was, I think it just came to a point where I, I felt ready. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the thing, like, You've got to feel ready within yourself for when you're there. Like I, I knew when he started talking about it, I was entertaining the idea for a little bit, but then I think I started to feel ready at some point in the last few years and felt like it was a good time. Mm. Do you have any tips for anyone out there who really wants to write a book? I know you said the process was difficult, but what would be your advice on how to go through it? Yeah, I would t- jump on a Zoom with other authors, just chatting with them because I mean, everyone's author experience is so different. Like some people, you know, have been writing all their lives and have can pump out like 12 books. Do you know what I mean? Or just like, that's what they just love to do. But I think jumping on a Zoom and talking with other authors through their experience, because it definitely is a journey from like writing to now being in the stage of promoting the book and the book coming out. And then I mean, all the fears and the self-doubt and everything that comes from you know, putting your face on a book and putting it out into the world, like that is scary too. And it's just, it's great to talk to other authors about that whole journey because they're, writing the book is like a small part of, of the picture or of the pie, like, or of the slice of the pie, or what do you say? But, you know, it's a small part of what a book can do and the impact it can have because there's so many moving parts. I agree. So usually at the end of the pod, I will like ask your advice for your inner child and your inner child's advice to you. But you brought up your daughter quite a few times. And I'm just curious, like in advising her and her life, how do you encourage her to go after her inner creative and chase her dreams and live her passion? Yeah. So my biggest thing for my daughter, I want to show her what's possible in her life by her watching me live mine. Like by me doing these hard things and by me following what I'm passionate about, I believe I'm teaching her in an indirect way. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of parents out there, we tell our kids to dream big and follow our inner child and to think about all these things. But then if we're not actually living that ourselves, or we're not trying 
as best we can to do those things, then we're not setting up that for our daughter, right? Or our son or whoever it might be. So for me, I just encourage obviously at home and anything that she, that she loves, we kind of check it out and we try new things and we fail together and she fails and know that it's okay. But then she also watches me fail and get back up again. I mean, we just water skied this weekend and I fell on my face like five or six times, but I kept getting up. Right. Yes. And she's on the dock and she's like, go mom. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like here I go again. Like, I'm like, just stand up for five minutes so I can quit. <laughs> Cause I just, I think it's so important to, to live that life because they're watching at the end of the day. So I would say we've got to live the life that we want to show them. That's for sure. Well, thank you, Amy, for living courageously and for sharing yourself with the world and this book. I'm so excited. Um, it's out now. Hope everybody goes and gets a copy. And I just really appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Amy McLaren. For more info on Amy, follow her at Amy Dow McLaren on Instagram. You can also learn about her charity on the website, villageimpact.com. Her book, Passion to Purpose, is out now and available anywhere good books are sold. Thank you so much to Unleash associate producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow Unleash on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Amy at Amy Down McLaren so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you discover small steps you can start taking toward your passion and purpose. If you do, before you know it, that big leap won't feel like a big leap at all. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.